1: Hey, everybody. We hope you guys had a great weekend out there in podcast land. Wendy and I had a pretty sweet weekend, didn't we? It was awesome. We were
0: back at our favorite recording studio, Cherry Pit Studios, and we were recording some new paranormal songs. Well, they're not Entirely new, but new studio versions
1: of the songs. Yes. So we're giving them the full rock and roll treatment uh, in the studio this weekend, and we're excited for you guys to hear it, because the, the demos and everything like that are fun uh, on each episode, and we, we, we work really hard on those songs. We
0: do. You know, yeah.
1: it's out every week, but it's also, it's only what a week can do uh, in, in writing and creating and performing, and so now we've had a couple months to pick our favorites, and we take them into the big studio and give them that rock and roll production. Oh, yeah. Shiny, sparkly, polished sounding. <laughs> yeah. And so um, we did release an album in April called The Wonders of the Invisible World. And those were all songs that we had written um, for the podcast and then taken into the big studio to give them that pretty sheen of, of popness uh, on top of them. <laughs> So uh, make sure you check com Slash album Is where you can check that out Uh, If you guys are interested In hearing Any of our rock and roll songs After they've been on the podcast And how we release them To the rest of the world
0: Yeah it's exciting Yeah it's always exciting Taking the songs And then just you know Kicking them up To that next level Of rock So Yeah We'll be working on those For the next week or two And then uh Mm -hmm. We will be sharing them.
1: Absolutely. You know, I just hope for some more haunted stuff to happen in the studio. Like, if you guys have any ideas for when you're in the recording studio, if there's any kind of uh, experiments, paranormal experiments we can do, like if you try to listen, like for some kind of... The thing is, the studio, unfortunately, nobody's been killed in. No. It's not on a battlefield. The thing with the
0: studio is there's a lot of time that you're just sitting there with the headphones on. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, stuff is going on in the booth, and you're just waiting for it to be time to sing or play or whatever. And a lot of times, I do hear things in the headphones that are weird, but what you can't you, you well, you hear things and you don't know what's causing it. It's usually when you're in just, the vocal booth. Well, I understand. I think
1: it's usually just the producer farting.
0: Well, that very well could be, <laughs> right? or some of it. Stomach. I mean, most of it is that you're in this isolation booth, basically, in the dark. And it lets your imagination run wild with any weird, odd sounds that come through, yeah. so
1: it's kind of not necessarily paranormal, but
0: for all I know, it could be
1: <laughs> well the the only thing that's that's really weird I know about that happened in the studio while they were uh it's 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 a fairly new building, but while they were remodeling it and turning it into a recording studio, they did find. A pair of dirty underwear shoved no.
0: into the ceiling. Yeah. Ew. It was like shoved
1: into the ceiling. So, like when they were working on the ceiling and taking what? stuff out and putting sound reinforcement stuff up there, like a pair of Aww. somebody crapped their pants, put the underwear up there. Didn't and, want anyone to know. And then, like, fell out while they were working. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> on it. So.
0: Alrighty. Well, so if you're trying to hide your secrets, just right. remember that someday somebody might
1: take that wall down. Yeah. And then they'll find the haunted trousers. <laughs> haunted by last night's dinner anyway poor bastard so that's what we've been up to that's where we're a little stir crazy from being in the recording studio but we had a great time and we're looking forward for you guys to hear uh that kind of music and that, that's the stuff that's coming out well today's topic uh is something we were talking about it, it it's something that we've talked about a lot uh probably over the past four years over the past you know 220 podcasts or whatever but it is a sensitive topic i feel nowadays oh yeah Definitely. And it's something we want to treat, uh, at least treat with sensitivity, but also not be blind to the kind of stuff. Um, when we're talking about mental health and the supernatural and how mental illness might mix with the paranormal, which is, I mean, as somebody who has a history of mental illness in my family, um, which if you've met my sister and I, then you've, you're probably like, well, that sounds about right. <laughs> It is something you think about, and also the fact you know a lot of the people we talk to have some pretty unbelievable stories. It's true, and so you want to you want to treat those people with sensitivity and respect because that's what's you know important. But also at the same time, you want to make sure you look at it through the lens of reality as much as you can. Or I guess reality is a very fluid term, you know. <laughs> I like to look at it, a lot of it through the lens of the materialist realm as much as I can, because I know that's the kind of stuff we can touch and feel and have a real effect. So uh, even though I know that the materialist perspective is not the only perspective
0: yeah,
1: and it can, right. It can be anything. and it, uh, But we have to look at it a little bit through a practical lens. And so that's what we're going to try to do a bit, a bit today. But it is something that I think is very interesting because You know, what's the first thing, Wendy, you think of when you think of, like, mental illness and the occult? Uh, I don't know. All right. The first thing that I always think of when I think of mental illness and the occult is all the stories that we get from third world countries where people are possessed or there's, like, a witch hunt in Uganda. Or even think about, um, we've had Dr. Martin Walsh on the show twice and he's talked about his experiences on Zanzibar. <laughs> and he's been there, you know, in the middle of a panic where people had this panic that there was a demon possessing other humans and this evil demon was possessing him and they were using it as an excuse to like beat people up. And things. Yeah, horrible. And so that feels so medieval. So, you know, like Salem witch trials. Yeah. I always think of... You know, people in these countries and these third world countries who are using uh, exorcism and spiritualism and stuff uh, as an excuse to maybe put away people who are mentally ill or, you know, they're they're dealing with, um, you know, mental illness in the way of a spiritual cause instead of a, a health cause. And so that's always what I think of, probably because I comb the news every single week <laughs> looking for paranormal stories. Yeah. And, you know, it is. They'll be like, demons possess Latin American middle school. And you'll have this footage, and especially now that everybody's got cell phones, you'll see all these, like, 13-year-old girls rolling around saying that the devils possess them. And you're seeing, uh, is is it really the devil? Or are you seeing, like, little mass hysteria groups in, in an ultra-religious community of people just acting crazy or getting attention or all those mm-hmm, kind of things. sure. And so that idea of possession is, you know, it's kind of the first thing I wanted to talk about because there's a lot of elements of possession that also show up with disassociative identity disorder, okay, okay. which is also known as, I mean, used to be known as multiple personality disorder. Right, okay. Now, multiple personality disorder, if you guys don't know, it's a condition where a person's identity is fragmented into two or more distinct personality states. And people with this rare condition are often victims of severe abuse. Psychiatrists and psychologists, they also don't necessarily all agree that there really is a multiple personality disorder. It's it's most famous in the movie Sybil. I don't think I've seen that one. What's that about? It's this movie from the 1960s, Sybil, and it's... uh. Who play, I think Sally Field is the one that plays Sybil. And so what's happening to her is that she's a she's a young girl that has distinct personalities. It's, it's oh, a classic okay. what you think of a multiple personality. Like one is like a nice girl, another is like an evil man, another is a childlike personality. So it's that split personality that um and in the movie, obviously, is extremely fictionalized in how, you know, one personality doesn't remember what the other personality does.
0: Okay. And they take on different voices and different actual like, yes. mannerisms and things like that. So it isn't just yeah. a different mood or a different
1: behavior. Mm-hmm. The movie Split that came out last year uh, with James McAvoy playing a character with like 50 different personalities. Wow. And he's like a dangerous. And, you know, some of that's kind of exploitative because there's like a scientist in there that thinks that um, multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder and these multiple personalities can actually lead people to do superhuman things. Hmm. And that's part of the movie, that the personalities can go beyond what regular people can do. And so certain personalities can do, like, walk on the wall or something or on the ceiling, oh, you know, wow. like Spider-Man Okay, versus other personalities. So it's almost using uh, disassociative identity disorder as a superhero trait.
0: Yeah, it's like a gift. The gift.
1: Right. <laughs> we'll talk about that more later. But the movie, and first of all, go see Split. It's really awesome. James mm. McAvoy, he's the guy that plays Professor X in the the X-Men First Class series of movies. Ah, okay. Um, he's really good, and he's awesome in the movie Split. First of all, his acting is awesome. Second of all, you can tell, because he's shirtless a lot of the film, that he totally works. I mean... <laughs> Does he do the splits his... in Split? <laughs> <laughs> no, but his abs and everything are like, oh, my God, oh, wow. he is jacked it's funny thing you know a lot of these British actors and stuff when they come up in the theater you see in the theater nobody's looking at your abs right so you're like a regular looking guy you're probably skinny so you still look good and um, he's a you know he's a good looking guy but then when he gets into a Hollywood film and they're like yo your shirt off you you're, you're gonna be shirtless for half this film he's thinking <laughs> Uh-oh. uh oh yeah let's call the personal trainer <laughs> And you really see that with Hugh Jackman, just a, a sidetrack here. So Hugh Jackman, when you see him in the first X-Men film, I mean, Hugh Jackman's good looking guy. He's obviously works out, but he still has chest hair in the first X-Men film. And he's buff, but he's not like ripped. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, Hugh Jackman, all right. And then by the time you get to the Wolverine, <laughs> the second in that Wolverine solo films or whatever, he, I mean- He is a monster. Yeah, you just look at that. He's got like a 12-pack hiding <laughs> a under 12 there. 12 And, and it, everything's just rock hard and hairless. It's just an interesting thing. So you can see these, these theater actors, they're like, oh, man, we're going to be on screen. We're going to have to look good. And obviously, James McAvoy did that in Split. But I don't want to tell you too much about Split because it's definitely, uh, it's a newer film. And so I don't want to spoil a film that's only like a year and old, uh, a little over a year old, but it's a fun one. So that's a great movie. But it has nothing to do with dissociative identity, like real people Mm, who suffer from this, multiple personalities and and suffer from this. You know, it's completely fictionalized, turning all those people into superhuman. Because the thing is, so here's symptoms and see if this sounds to you like it could be symptoms of possession. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, f- symptom, the following criteria must be met for an individual to be diagnosed with disassociative identity disorder. The individual experiences two or more distinct identities or personality states, each with its own enduring pattern of perceiving, relating to, and thinking about the environment. Um, oh, it even says this in the – some cultures describe this as an experience of possession. Mm. The disruption in identity involves a change in sense of self, sense of agency, and changes in behavior, consciousness, memory, cognition, and motor function. Frequent gaps are found in memories of personal history, including people and places from the distant recent pasts. They're not consistent with ordinary forgetting. Mm. Like, I'm going to be 42 years old next week, Wendy, and so sometimes I forget what I had for breakfast Oh, boy. It's not that kind of ordinary forgetting. It's the kind of forgetting where you don't remember talking to uh, someone because it was your different personality that was talking. Okay. And these systems obviously cause clinically significant distress or impairment in important areas of functioning. So... That's uh, disassociative identity disorder, and in fact, I think while they were working on the new manual for treating people with psychiatric disorders called uh, the DSM mm-hmm. DSM5 came out a few years ago people were wondering where to put symptoms of possession. They, would they put them in multiple personality in this disassociative identity, or would they put them in a different, mm, a different category? category? Yeah. So th- Yeah, so possession is something that psychiatrists take pretty seriously. And what I think is interesting here is there's even people that have put up, like, how to differentiate uh, schizophrenia from demonic possession. Wow. All right? So this comes from mentalillnesspolicy.org. Okay. How to differentiate schizophrenia from demonic possession. Demons want nothing to do with religion. They have an aversion to religion, aversion to Jesus. This might be a religious site. I think (laughs) when I'm looking at it, it's like, demons want nothing (sighs) to do with Christ. So if uh, they, they don't like religion, then uh, it might be a demon versus just a regular uh, mental illness. Irrational speech versus rational speech. In New Testament accounts involving demons, the demons speak in a rational manner. Untreated people with schizophrenia will often speak in nonsense and jump rapidly between unrelated topics. Mm. Ordinary learning versus supernatural knowledge. Demons in the New Testament would speak through people to convey knowledge that otherwise could not have been known to possessed individuals. So this goes back to our four signs of possession. Yeah, and I was just looking at, because
0: on episode 105, we discussed those, at least the the Catholic Church recognized four signs of possession, because I was reviewing those as you were going through and saying things to see if any of them related. And so we've got knowing the unknowable, understanding unlearned languages, Aversion to sacred objects and supernatural strengths,
1: and so this would be knowing the unknowable. Yes, oh, aversion to sacred objects that goes with the aversion to religion stuff. Right. Yep. Right in the beginning, normal versus occult phenomena. This this guy says there's an aspect of demon activity that's just plain spooky. Well, okay. Levitations, <laughs> trances, telepathy. That'd be the supernatural strength. Yeah. Also, if they claim to be possessed. So demons wish to be secretive and do not voluntarily claim to be present. So this is obviously written from the perspective of somebody that believes in demons. Mm, true. So authors that claim, they, uh, demons wish to be secretive and do not voluntarily claim to be present. And then if therapy works, then it's probably not demon possession. <laughs> like if you can give somebody medicine and it works, then like the demon's not gonna react to Prozac or whatever. Like the demon, demon don't do meds. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's resistant, but I mean, uh, demonic possession and mental illness, that's that kind of, that goes hand in hand. And so the thing is, like I used to watch, I mean, I remember seeing the exorcist as a kid and my parents would just be, even though we went to church and stuff all the time. My mom's like, that's not, demons can't really possess people. Cause when you're a kid, you see the exorcist, you're like, oh my God. Cause it's a little girl that it happens to. Oh, it's so real. Right. And it's terrifying, and you think like, well, this could this could happen right. to any of us. And like, why did it? I, I guess in The Exorcist, it happens because she's playing with the Ouija board. So it's another movie that bl- I think the whole blaming everything on the Ouija board comes with The Exorcist. Okay. And she talks to Captain Howdy, <laughs> and she plays with the Ouija board yep. alone. Also, the the movie Witchboard that's what it says: never play with the Ouija board <laughs> alone. Um, otherwise you, you know, you get, killed like Tony Catane did in that movie. Mm. I know the girl who used to hang on David Coverdale's hood in the here I go again <laughs> video, which meant she was an early crush of mine. Oh boy. Right. But so you, you see that and you're like, this could happen to anybody. My mom would just be like, that's how they used to treat people who were mentally ill. And even the Catholic Church at the time in the 70s, they were like, yay, they were trying to separate themselves from the exorcist. They were trying to say like, hey, you know, we don't really do exorcisms. We handle people with mental illness. We direct them to the appropriate authorities and, you know, people that can help them, the the appropriate facilities where they can get assistance with that. But as you see, like the people that are evangelical, which believe that in the Bible, so what's said in the Bible is fact. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's no like it being filtered through the Pope or it being filtered through a priest. The stuff that's in the Bible is God's word and God's word is it. Okay. And in the New Testament, Jesus is exercising people all the time. And the most famous exorcism in the New Testament is the Gerasene demoniac. Okay, and this is the most famous one. So, The Exorcist Three uses this particular story as the name of the movie. Um, I think one of the one of the X Men actually going back to the X Men, where the X Men is named after this idea. So, uh, Jesus finds a man who is you know acting all crazy, and people come to him and they're like, "Hey, hey, Jesus, he's got a demon or something in him, and and you you have to stop him." And so Jesus comes in, starts talking to the man, and Jesus approaches and calls the demon to come out of the man. And the demon says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you in the name of God, never to torment me. And Jesus asks the demon his name. And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Okay. And that's the biggest, that's the, that's like a really spooky thing to say. Yeah, no kidding. And so that's why they, they take, we use that in our song. I was going to say, I uh, recognize those words. Yes, and our song, No More, from when we talked to the guy who the demon showed up in his living room, we talked about the Gerasene demoniac in that particular one. But the idea is that this guy has multiple demons inside him, i.e., disassociative identity disorder. Mm. He's got multiple personalities of demons inside him. And he tells Jesus, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then he begs him not to send him away, because he knows that Jesus has the power to get him away. So Jesus doesn't send the demons back to hell— what he does is he sends them into pigs on a nearby hillside. And then the pigs, which is like it says in the Bible, it says there's two thousand pigs. Wow. They all run down like the steep bank into the sea and they're drowned. And uh, then the guy's normal back to being regular. Mm. And then he even asks to join the disciples. Oh man. And, like he's like, I wanna be part of the group. And Jesus is like, nah, stay here and tell everybody how I saved you, kind of thing. Like tell everybody how how sweet God is. <laughs> My dad. <laughs> and what's interesting is so, where it could be. Uh, some versions say it's Gerasa, uh, the Gerasene demoniac. Some people say it's Gadara, which is a different town. So the the Gadarene demoniac, and so the location changes by which version of the of the story you're reading, which gospel you're reading, and what I thought was interesting. Is so we had Seth Breedlove on the show. Yeah. And he had his Bray Road Beast documentary that came out in a small town monsters documentary. And one of the stories of the Bray Road Beast comes from the 1930s, where the priest who's in East Troy, Wisconsin, sees like a dog Oh man. man. Like he sees the Beast of Bray Road. And in, in all modern versions of the Beast of Bray Road story, the beast is always quiet. The beast is, all, or growly, you know, but never says like English words. Yeah. It doesn't talk. Yeah. In this story, which Linda Godfrey learned, uh, the beast says to the priest, that's like, that sounds like <laughs> rapping there. Like I'm, the beast says to the, and
0: the priest. I'm just picturing Linda saying it like that too. Rapping it out.
1: <laughs> right. So Linda's it's awesome. like so nice. I know. And so, you know, well composed and she just breaks it out. You know what I'm saying? Um, but she says that the priest heard the beast say Gadara, and he interpreted it as something satanic, demonic, because like the, the Gadarene, the Gerasene, demoniac, he interpreted that. But see, that story of possession, when you're thinking about the Bible and stuff, you're like, well, that could be a story of Jesus as a therapist kind of guy giving some treatment to, you know, somebody who was possessed by, or somebody who had multiple personalities. But if you are taking the Bible as literal, then you're saying, well, this dude, this dude was possessed by demons. And that's why uh, we have exorcists today because of that specific thing. And so when I was doing research of exorcism versus psychiatry, I did come across a really great article written by a psychiatrist. And he writes that for the past 20 years, He accompanies religious people of all denominations on exorcisms to see whether it's some kind of mental illness or whether it's actually demons. (laughs) Or something else that's not mental illness, right? (laughs) Right. That we can't explain. Uh, So this guy's name is Richard Gallagher, and he wrote in the Washington Post, As a psychiatrist, I diagnose mental illness. Also, I help spot demonic possession. And he even starts out, he said, in the late 1980s, I was introduced to a self-styled satanic high priestess. She called herself a witch and dressed apart with flowing dark clothes and black eyeshadow around to her temples. In our many discussions, she acknowledged worshiping Satan as his queen. So wait, Stevie Nicks? Yes. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Just
0: kidding. Sorry. Okay.
1: So he's like, I'm a man of science and a lover of history. So after studying the classics at Princeton, I trained in psychiatry at Yale and in psychoanalysis at Columbia. That background is why a Catholic priest had asked my professional opinion about whether this woman was suffering from a mental disorder. This was at the height of the national panic about Satanism, the satanic panic, which he talked about several times. He said, so I was inclined to skepticism, but my subject's behavior exceeded what I could explain with my training. She could tell some people their secret weaknesses. She knew how individuals she'd never known had died, including my mother and her fatal case of ovarian cancer. Six people later vouched to me That during her exorcisms They heard her speaking multiple languages Including Latin Completely unfamiliar to her Outside of her trances This was not psychosis It was what I could only describe As a paranormal ability I concluded that she was possessed Yes I mean Wow And Right But he's done dozens of cases yeah. uh, You know With exorcists and stuff like that Since you know Since then And that idea of Okay, some cases are actually mental illness, and some cases uh, are possession. And the th- you know the thing about possession is that you have this another you know personality inside you. And whether it's this associative personality disorder, and here's something funny, and this is something I just remembered today uh, when we were working on this. So there's a girl I know that in seventh grade, she said she was playing with the Ouija board alone. Uh... And this is when I was in seventh grade too. And I used to talk to her on the phone all the time. And she said that she was possessed by the spirit of a 19th century prostitute. Okay. And so she would sometimes we'd have a conversation and then she would start, she would just change her uh, like accent and how she was talking. She was normally kind of flirtatious, but she'd become like uber, like super flirtatious in the way she was speaking and like the timbre of her voice would change. And she would talk about it and then she'd tell me how she was murdered and things. And I'm just like, oh God. Like, what, a, what am I doing with this here? Like, why do I meet these people? I'm 13 years old. I'm like, I don't want the things people do to get your attention, Mike. Right. Um, <laughs> but I completely forgot. This is a total case. This might probably be the first time I've ever talked to somebody who, number one, said they were possessed. Yeah. Number two, said it happened while they were playing alone with a Ouija board. Uh, and number three, like, made up this alternate history of, like, how this prostitute was murdered. Hmm eventually we stopped being friends at the time or didn't hang out too much anymore so i kind of it kind of just went away but there was a period of like a month where she would break into that character probably twice a week maybe and it would happen like at strange times like sometimes it would just happen and then all of a sudden the voice would change like oh no who am i talking to man all right now that sounds like a 13 year old girl trying to i was just gonna
0: say attention (laughs) If, you know, the creativity is running high
1: there. and Right. Sure. And it never bothered me too much. And we're friends now, which is why I'm not outing her on the podcast. But the, but the thing is, like, I was just like, that's a, I don't know, that's pretty weird. And it didn't even, you know, occur to me to think that, I mean, she doesn't have any mental illness that I know of, but it didn't even occur to me that that could be a, that's a sign of someone acting like they yeah. have a different personality. Um, and it's that idea of the different personality being something that comes outside of yourself. Now that's we're talking about spirit possession or demonic possession. And when people have schizophrenia, they often have auditory hallucinations. So people that deal with schizophrenia, I think you don't you don't say the word schizophrenic anymore because it's not, I mean, it's letting the disease define the person. And I, I, you know, I appreciate that. I don't even think that's just PC or whatever. I agree. You know, I remember the G.I. Joe characters. There was a G.I. Joe character named Zartan, who was the master of disguise. And they have these little lists about, or little facts about the the action figures on the back of them. Okay. And I got Zartan right when he came out. (laughs) And his cool thing was like, he wore a hood and stuff, but his cool thing was that he could change colors in the sunlight. Like he would change in the sunlight. But he also came with some masks, and he put the masks on the master of disguise. We put masks. Ah, okay. On. And in the original dossier, uh, on the dossier card in the back, said that he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Wow. And there was like a. It wasn't like a boycott, but like somebody called Hasbro or whatever, or like the American Psychological Association, and said like, "Hey, you're, you're demonizing literally. Because yeah. Zartan was the master. He wasn't a good guy. He was a master of disguise and like a hitman oh, kind of man. character. It's terrible. They had that idea of the paranoid schizophrenic on the back and um, so they eventually changed the description of Zartan but I have the original somewhere at home still because I cut out all the dossiers.
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: I cut out the backs of them. Um, But So someone that has schizophrenia, they often have auditory hallucinations where they hear someone talking to them. Mm -hmm. Okay? And that idea that okay, now you're hearing someone talk to you. Well, some people might think like, well, it's yourself. It's just yourself talking, you know, you're, something is wrong. And so you're just talking to yourself. Yeah. We all do that, right? <laughs> right. But the other side would be, all right, well, what if something else is talking to you? What if voices in your head are coming from somebody else?
0: Yeah. In those cases, they actually hear, it's perceived as an actual sound coming in their ear. It isn't like when I'm talking right. to myself and I hear, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, when you hear something in your mind versus when you hear an actual sound wave hit
1: your ear, and that's what it's perceived as. That's exactly right. So the thing is, these auditory hallucinations, like, where do they come from? You know, like, what part of the brain is being... If it's yourself who's doing the talking, what part of your brain is it coming from? You know, how do you hear it? So they ran an experiment. A psychiatrist Louis Gould wanted to know whether auditory hallucinations and schizophrenia have anything to do with the phenomenon of sub-vocal speech. So subvocal is when you say something, uh, like your speech muscles are still. You're saying something really quiet. So are the voices in the head actually talking? So he was wondering, are they merely unintentional mutterings of the speech muscles? Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. So why would schizophrenics happen to notice their subvocal speech while healthy people do not? So he designed an experiment using uh, some electromyography, which measures muscle activation through time. And he grabbed a group of people with schizophrenia and a group of healthy patients, and he recorded their vocal muscle activity. And he compared the EMG, the electromyography readings, of the patients with schizophrenia as they experienced auditory hallucinations. Ah, yeah, cool. And he found that when the patients were hearing voices, their recordings showed greater vocal muscle activation. This result meant that when they were hearing voices in their heads, their vocal muscles were contracting, they were engaging in sub-vocal speech. Yeah, oh, interesting. So it's like a, um, the guys with the dummies. Ventriloquist. Like a ventriloquist. It's like, you're, you know, it's like you're talking with the dummy or whatever, and the dummy actually is talking. <laughs> and so you don't, don't realize that. Okay, so his next question. Subvocal speech is an activation of the vocal muscles, even though no voice is heard. But why isn't it heard? Is no voice produced at all, or is the voice just very, very quiet? If no voice at all were produced, then subvocal speech couldn't be the source of the hallucinative voice they hear in their head. But what if subvocal speech was just very quiet and nobody but the patient could hear it? So he he takes one of his patients, Lisa, and he says, if subvocal speech is a slight activation of the vocal muscles leading to the production of an equi- extremely quiet sound, what if we were to make it louder? So it should be possible to use a microphone to amplify that sound. So he put a small microphone on the skin of Lisa's throat, and the voice in her head came out as a whisper. The subvocal voice, the voices in her head, could be amplified. She was whispering it oh, to herself, but nobody wow. else could hear it but her. Huh. So here's an example. The whisper sounds. as She knows I'm here. What are you going to do? She's a voice I know. I don't see where she goes. I know she is a wise woman. She doesn't know what I want. She's wise, all right. People will think she is someone else. Lisa says, I'm hearing the voices again. Whisper. She knows. She's the most wicked thing in the whole wide world. The only voice I hear is hers. She knows everything. She knows all about aviation. Lisa... I heard them say I have a knowledge of aviation. Wow. Um, And so we asked her what the voice told. Her description matched the content of the amplified speech word for word. The voice in Lisa's head spoke at the same time and said the same things as the subvocal speech she herself had generated. Then he's talking to a guy named Roy. And Roy had an entity in his mind named Miss Jones, which is funny because there's a... Speaking of demonic possession, there is an f- <laughs> adult film called like, The Devil and Miss Jones. And so that's a famous like 70s adult film. So the idea that his, the demon in his head would be called Miss Jones. Um, so he places the microphone against Roy's throat, and the whisper says, If you're in his mind, you come out of there. But if you're not in his mind, you won't come out of there. You want to stay there. And the researcher says, like, Who said that? And Roy goes, uh, She said. And the whisper goes, I said that. And then the examiner goes, Are you talking to yourself? And Roy's like, no, I don't. And the whisper says, mind your own business, darling. I don't want him to know what I was doing. And Roy's like, I spoke to her what to ask, and and she said, mind your own business. So the whole thing is, is that he literally was talking to himself, and the vocal muscles were activating, but it was so quiet that no one could hear it. Wow. And I'd never heard that before, and I think that's That is incredible. I'd never heard of anything
0: like that before. No.
1: And um, so I do remember that in college, we did talk about schizophrenia as the doctors were seeing, like, okay, if people say they hear voices in their head, let's see if the voices are coming from outside the brain. So they were doing, um, you know, they put the, the, they would check a, what do you, is it EMR? MRI? You you look at the brain. MRI, like encephalography kind of thing, where they hook the brain up to the electrodes, like you see in the movies. And they see the, EKG, the parts of the brain that were going off, and there's an area called Broca's area that's always activated when we speak, okay? And what happened was the patients were reporting that they were hearing voices in their head and their Broca's area was going off, but they didn't recognize it as their own speech. Mm. So something happens in schizophrenia that separates that, that part of our own brain that we, we d- can tell is coming from ourselves. We all have a voice in our head. I mean, that's why we meditate, right? So you, the voices in your head go away. Try to get them to. Right. We try to get everybody to shut up for a yes. little bit. But, you know, that's the thing. Um, you know, the, the fact that it's not just in your head, it's not, not just Broca's area that's going off and you're hearing your own mental voice. In schizophrenia, it's speaking. You are, you are speaking, but just it's such sub subvocally, And that blew my Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, so... I. You know, I do have a of a, a friend who I was with him during a couple of schizophrenic breaks. Mm. And this is before we knew he was schizophrenic. And he's all right now. He's on meds and he's got his therapy and, and it was a he, you know, he made it through to have a successful life. You know, job and stuff like that and but the thing is I would, you know, I asked him afterwards after I noticed like he would just be very quiet. And I'd hear him talking to himself. Kind of like the idea, you think of like, oh, a crazy guy, a homeless guy talking to himself or whatever. Like, we'd all just be watching a movie. And then um, he'd be sitting in a chair, like two feet from me. And, I just, oh, yeah, so, and I'd hear like a little, like a phrase, him talking to himself. Mm. Like, yeah, I can't, I can't believe what they say. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, he? hi, what's going on? But when I'd ask him about later, I'd be like, what did the voices in your head tell you? And he's like, well, they never told me anything really harmful. They would tell me like how to react in social situations. They mm. would tell me, I don't know if they were helpful, <laughs> but they would tell him like ways to like, oh, you should, you should say something now, or you should um, tell a joke now, or things like that. They would try to help him in social situations is, is what he told me. But he did say it was, a, you know, alarming in it that he would have little bits of paranoia where he would think that there was a chip in his brain, and that's why he was hearing the voices. wow. So that psychosis and that hallucination, that idea that you hear stuff. And, you know, one thing about mental illness that I, I don't think, um, unless you have had to deal with it yourself, and uh, had to take medication, that I don't think that uh, we appreciate well enough. And that's, so um, I had a, another friend that experienced like some severe depressions and uh, he tried to off himself a couple mm-hmm. of times. But because he would always go off his medication. Now this was a really smart guy. This was a guy that uh, was so gifted in math that he could count cards at the casino and make like ten grand in a night. Wow. Of which he would then blow it and then try to kill. Him. Oh, so, I mean, this guy sad. was really a smart guy, and so this kind of stuff would happen to him. And then I'm like, why don't you just take your medication? like then you don't have these thoughts of suicide you don't have these thoughts. We know, he's like because the medication doesn't make me feel normal um. so so i think we if we're not experienced with these chemical imbalances to us you know we feel normal all the time and imagine how you feel like when you've had a big life change or something dramatic's happened or you're distressed and you're not yourself you're like i'm not myself yeah. when you're on medication maybe you're never yeah, yourself that would be- That would be difficult. Yeah. I mean, how would you get through that? So like, you're always like, well, why isn't the stupid guy just take his medication? Well, if I were in that same kind of situation where I'd never feel normal right? and all you have to do is not take your pills and you feel regular again, I can't say that I wouldn't err on the side of feeling normal myself. Hmm. So that is something that from my personal experience of people that have had mental illness and, and schizophrenia- I mean, I've seen that talking to themselves in action, and I can see where if it's dramatic and that person is saying hateful things, or things that are dangerous or whatever, um, that you would think it it might not be mental illness. It might be something a lot you know scarier than that. <laughs> yeah. And when we're doing research on the different kinds of, um, it it's hard when you see because we've talked to a lot of psychics on we the do, show, right? Yeah. And And, you know, I've, I mean, I don't have any real psychic experiences. I had a couple of dreams that ended up happening and then I've done really well on a Zener deck with a guitar player, but I've never, (laughs) I've never really had like a psychic, like where something's talked to me and I'm like, well, yeah, that's my uncle, you know, and I've never experienced anything like that. But, you know, what I think is interesting is the idea of clairvoyance that you can see, you know, into the future, kind of like you have a vision and Mm -hmm. it happens. Um, There was a real interesting study that was done a few years ago about how sometimes we perceive things in reverse, and that can make us think we're clairvoyant. What? (laughs) Yeah. So you think about the doorbell ringing, and the doorbell rings. You think about the phone ringing, and the phone rings. When we're thinking back on it, we're like, oh, I thought about Wendy, and she called me on Skype. You know, that was weird. So I must have had some kind of, you know, some kind of connection. i predicted the future of what happened. But what happened was you called me on Skype and then I thought about you.
0: Oh, so you're remembering it backwards. We're remembering it backwards. And often we can perceive things oh, that's
1: That doesn't make things very easy now, does it? <laughs> no, not at all. So sometimes people perceive things backwards. And they, they ran this experiment where they were trying to make people perceive things backwards or make them think that they predicted the future. So in the experiment, they were trying to predict, like, they get like six boxes or whatever. And like, when will this box be filled? And then they'd predict when the box would be filled. And then, you know, sometimes they'd be like, after they showed the box that were filled, they would give them the, the correct answer to what they predicted. Oh, okay. Kind of <laughs> and so it makes the thing, oh, I predicted the future. I, You know, I predicted that. And then they did a survey of belief. And they found that the more people experienced things in the wrong direction, like, so at no point were they predicting any kind of future. At no point were they psychic at all in this experiment. Okay. But the people that kept on, you know, seeing things and perceiving them as a psychic experience, like I predicted, look at that! I just, I just predicted the the box being filled six times in a row. I uh, should be on Oprah, you know, as a psychic. Those people were much more likely to believe in psychic things, oh, psychic phenomena. Interesting. Yeah, and so they were trying to find some kind of link. Between believing in what they called, like, I don't like the researchers on this one, because they called them like delusion prone people, Jeez. something like that. So you're like, oh, come on, stop being such a jerk, All right. Mr. Science. You know, but it's that idea that uh, it's not that people are actually clairvoyant, it's that they're perceiving things in the wrong order. And because they perceive things in the wrong order, they think they're clairvoyant. Oh, man. Now, I'm not saying that psychics are all like that or whatever. I'm just saying that was this particular study.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's small things, too. It's not like, I predict there's going to be an earthquake on this date or whatever, you know, three weeks prior or something like that. You're talking about smaller events.
1: Yes. Because if you actually predicted something like massive three weeks in advance, you'd be like, well, that guy is clairvoyant. It wouldn't just be Right. Like, it's provable. Wouldn't be like, hey, um, uh, hey, I'm thinking about a guy I haven't talked to in a long time. And then he just perhaps they called. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't say, they don't, I guess they don't say delusion prone in the article. Uh, in the article, this is also in the Washington Post. The article is, you think you're clairvoyant, but your brain is just tricking you. They said, as we hypothesized, the participants who were more likely to report an implausibly high number of accurate predictions were also more likely to endorse delusion like ideas mm. in broader context.
0: Delusion
1: like ideas. That sounds
0: so pedantic, too. It, can you totally just, yeah, I can like hear pedantic.
1: them adjusting their glasses as they're reading that. <sighs> but also, when I was doing research on this, I found a lot of people who were taking medications because that is one thing in our. and. You know, medications help a lot of people, and oh yeah, you know that's something that you gotta decide on your own, like whether you're willing to play with your brain chemistry. But it d- does help a lot of people. But people were saying that I used to be psychic, but then I started taking my antidepressant, and now long I'm no longer psychic. And you know, there's no real particular, I guess, evidence one way or the other. You know, it's just when you're talking about psychic abilities, you're basically just talking about someone's claims. And so, but it's people saying that, yeah, the more I've taken this, the less psychic episodes I've had. So that's just a, Mm. you know, we would never endorse not taking what your doctor told you. But uh, a lot of people are asking at different forums on the internet what's happening to their psychic ability uh, now that they're taking medications. And now they, they, they hear less. They see less. They're, they're having less psychic experiences now that they're taking medications. And people are asking about it. And it's hard because that's not something you can ask your psychiatrist. Yeah, that's true. They're not going to humor that. Your psychiatrist can be like, <laughs> they, they be like, take your medications. Like, I don't care if you're not talking to the dead anymore. You're jo- you know, Right, this here is for your, your, health for your health on the line here. Right. And so it's just an interesting thing because when you have... When you think you have psychic experiences, where else can you go to? But what's interesting, though, is the thing is, is that psychics, like people with schizophrenia, also hear voices. But while they torment people with schizophrenia, Uh, they don't torment psychics. With psychics, they they call it a gift. Yeah. Well, some, I mean, some of them do get
0: some torment. But
1: schizophrenia, it's a curse. Right. You know? And, and people end up, their whole lives get changed. But psychics, their lives get changed too, but now that they make money doing psychic readings. And I probably got like 50 friends now who are psychic, you know, who claim psychic yeah. abilities. Yeah. And so um, to them, it's a, it's a positive thing. It's something they've dealt with their whole life. And so interestingly enough, in 2017, uh, there was a team from Yale that was working on a study that they're trying to understand more about schizophrenia and so as they do that, they decided to go to a psychic convention and talk to people that have heard voices as psychics and find out you know, more about them. And in some of the brain scans they did uh, on the people who claim they were psychic, according to the brain scans, they had that similar activity of voices in their head going. Wow. They claim they're having psychic experiences. And so the, uh, the people who are working on the study, they're like, either they're faking it really, really well, As in, they can fool a machine. Yeah, that's amazing. They do have experiences that are similar. But the the biggest difference is that psychics hear voices that are helpful and positive, not scary or threatening. And the researchers said that self-identified clairaudience psychics endorse an ability to control those voices. Um, They can make them happen and not make them happen. They can turn it off. Uh, Okay. So they thought that maybe that in the future, if we can study how... You know, people who claim that they are psychic hear voices and turn it off. Maybe they can help uh, people who have to deal with scary schizophrenia voices.
0: Oh, okay.
1: How they can manage them, like psychics do.
0: Yeah, that's positive.
1: Yeah, it's a really. Po- I thought that was a really positive thing and a really great. Um, a really great idea for research, where you get to research paranormal stuff at the same time as researching <sighs> things that, that have a, a very real impact on people that are, that are suffering. Mm-hmm. So the last topic I kind of wanted to get to today, and we're going to have to do a whole episode Yeah. on, on, on these. I feel, I feel like I came in not thinking we'd have enough to talk about, and I've got still like three or four different things on the list I haven't even got to. Oh, my gosh. But uh, the last thing I kind of wanted to bring up is something I really didn't know about because it didn't really happen until the late 1990s, and I guess it wasn't as big of a deal when I first started looking at paranormal stuff, but it's just the idea of indigo children. Oh, yes. So based on a concept from the 1970s by um, a researcher named Nancy Ann Tappy, and further developed by uh, Lee Carroll and Jan Tober, they wrote these books uh, in the late 1990s about the idea that kids... Who are diagnosed with ADHD or ADD and sometimes autism, they're not really sick. They have paranormal abilities. Okay. Right. And so automatically my my skeptic uh, you know my, my skeptic ears completely fire because you're like, yeah, well, these are totally. kids, and we'll get to the fact that I I do think we over medicate children. And <laughs> you know, that is something that's happened. And we are quick to diagnose kids with some kind of mental disorder when they're just children. You know, it's like, well, mm. oh my child's acting crazy. It must be some kind of disorder. We need medication. Instead of my child is 10 years old and 10-year-olds have a, <laughs> can be crazy. You know, that's when yeah. they're 10 years old. That's the whole point. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's that idea from split or whatever that the, that the illness actually becomes a superpower. It actually makes them better. It makes them gr- greater than human, like an X-Man. And the reason they call them indigo children is because Nancy Ann Tappy, she she said that she saw the aura of these kids as indigo. Ah, uh, okay. And that they were a new breed, a new breed of person <laughs> because their aura was indigo. And... All right, and, and that idea is that they could be paranormal. I watched a whole documentary this morning, too, on this idea that uh, there's people who really believe that their child is not just a regular kid, but an indigo child with, with supernatural abilities. So instead of giving them Ritalin or whatever you give to ADHD now, there's a whole bunch of different things you can do now. When, I, when we were kids, it was, Ritalin was the, was the trick they'd always use. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Um, descriptions of indigo children include that they are empathetic, curious, and strong-willed. Often perceived by friends and family as being strange, uh, show a strong innate subconscious spirituality from early childhood, okay, have a strong feeling of entitlement or deserving to be here, resistance to authority, and uh, they have an intuitive ability. So indigo children may function poorly in conventional schools due to rejection of authority, but it's not because they just hate being told what to do. Like my, I have a rejection of rigid authority, very much so, because <laughs> I hate being told what to do. I'm like yeah. John Locke from Lost. Don't tell me what I can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I am someone that I do not like authority, period. And especially if I feel like the guy telling me what to do is not as smart as me, I want to punch him in his face.
2: <laughs> I am not then.
1: I'm not not psychic. I'm just somebody that hates authority. (laughs) These kids hate authority because they are smarter or more spiritually mature than their teachers, and their lack of response to guilt, fear, or manipulation-based discipline. So, it's a very new-agey kind of concept. And the thing is, is that everything's very vague when it comes to indigo children. So I was looking it up, I was reading as much as I could about it, and it does seem like there's there's nothing that can be proven that these kids have psychic abilities or whatever. It's just their parents kind of really and, and I could be wrong. So I welcome people and this is why we should do a whole show on it. Yeah, I think we should. You know, because I'm always skeptical about auras anyway. That's not my that's not my paranormal <laughs> cup of tea. You know what I mean? But I have been I've been convinced about other things yeah. too. Maybe if we look into it more, I'm a believer in fairies now. Yes, you are. But you know, some people think that. Uh, you know, indigo, it's just like kind of reaction to this idea of this widespread diagnosis of autism and ADHD and big pharma vaccination conspiracies and the whole. Like it all kind of it all kind of feeds into each other. But I wanted to bring it about because it, it's this whole idea of mental illness. And Mental illness is a super harsh word, too. Like you kind of, my butt clenches whenever I say it. Oh, gosh. It, <laughs> it's a, I it mean, stigmatizing if someone is mentally ill. Like, it, it, it interferes with your entire, the way you think about him and stuff like yeah. that. So I can see why people are like, no, my kid's not mentally ill. He's psychic. He's <laughs> telepathic. Yeah. And, you know, they're reconceptionalizing these traits that are usually negative, and they're turning them into positive. It's almost like the psychic's taking the voices in their head and making it positive. So as a treatment... It might be better than to tell your kitty's sick all the time. Yeah, there's something say, hey, wrong with you. Maybe say there's something super right, extra right with you. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So there really, there's not that much uh, evidence about indigo children either way. Yet, I mean, of course, the evidence in the negative side is that or is are BS. You know, <laughs> but there's not evidence like indigo children are. You know, rolling around and floating right. like the X Men. Not, nobody's turning anything to ice or <laughs> traveling in time. Or, um, but I wish the best for that because the thing is, if, you have, if your kid's having trouble, I mean, I know how it is. I mean, I don't have a troubled kid yet because she's only two, so you don't, you know, she might be crazy, but everybody who's two is crazy. Uh, but I certainly can imagine why people would not want to stigmatize their child with mental illness when they're young. And I think that gets to the song of this week. And this is, this is one of the oldest Sunspot songs that we still play or still comes, in, uh, comes out at shows. Gets requested frequently still. Yeah, it does. And we came out with this on our album, Radio Free Earth. Uh, that came out in 2000. But with this particular song, so we're talking about college, we're talking about science. I was a psychology major in college. And we were talking about Prozac and, and different kind of medications. And it made me think about this girl I knew in high school. And uh, she seemed completely normal or whatever. But, you know, she's like, yeah, you know, I've been, I've been on Prozac for the past year. And I kind of, I was like 16 or 17. I'd never heard of this before. I'm like, you've been on what? <laughs> you know, like I, I thought, uh, like I said, we have a history of mental illness in the family. So I knew people who had taken medication mm-hmm. and things like that. And I'm like, with your, how, like, there's nothing wrong with you, though. And it was just the idea, like, there's nothing wrong with you. And it kind of blew my mind. Like, are we, uh, and this was in the late 90s. Right when everybody was saying, are we over-medicating? The Prozac Nation book right, came out. yeah. They made that movie. That was so- Sofia Coppola's first film, wasn't it? Anyway, but that whole idea of uh, over-medicating kids when they could just be growing up is where the Prozac Girl song came out. So I guess this might be our Indigo childhood. <laughs> there you go. But uh, here's Wendy and I, plus our guitar player, Ben, playing you a song from our first album, two thousand. Radio Free Earth, this is Sunspot and Prozac Girl.
2: Is she a victim of her own physiology or just a victim of some bad psychology? Well, all I know, she's 15 and she's a Prozac. you for listening to today's episode you can find
0: us online at othersidepodcast.com until next time see you
1: on the other side and so we want to make sure to thank our patreon community those are the people who make see you on the other side podcast happen every single week wendy where can people Join us if they're interested in becoming fellow weirdos.
0: Anybody can join us by visiting com slash donate. And that'll take you to the page that shows you all the different options for uh, levels that you can contribute at. Like one of our
1: favorite weirdos is Dr. Ned. Dr. Ned contributes at the Patreon level where he gets a shout out in every single episode. It's kind of like they, an executive producer oh, yeah, position. A little bit. So, Doc. Thank you, Ned. Thank you very much for being the kind of supporter that helps make this happen. And everybody in our Patreon community, you guys are awesome with your ideas and your feedback. And we appreciate that every little bit. And you guys out there, if you're still listening, which you should be because it's this podcast is good to the last drop, <laughs> then make sure you check us out, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening.
2: She knows I'm here. What are you going to do? She's a voice I know. I don't see where she goes. The beast says to the priest,